everyone and welcome to the News Agent Podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Senior Content Executive at Goodlord, and this episode is a recording of our Renters Reform Bill White Paper webinar Q&A, which unexpectedly fell on the day that Boris Johnson resigned as Prime Minister in the wake of numerous government resignations and the sacking of the levelling up secretary, Michael Gove. So this webinar has turned out to be pretty well timed to go through what this may mean for the Renters Reform Bill going forwards. Sean Hooker, Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme and Goodlord's Ollie Sherlock were the expert webinar hosts. So let's hear what they had to say about these latest developments. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this instalment of the Renters Reform Bill White Paper Live Q&A uh, with our very good friend, Sean Hooker. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. It's been an eventful 24 hours, and we're going to be trying to dissect some of those events um, in the next sort of 30 minutes to an hour. Um, we're going to split uh, the, the webinar into a couple of um, different sections today, uh, given recent events. Um, I've got Sarah supporting us on the slides this morning. Good morning, Sarah. Um, hopefully we can go on to the next slide, please. Um, for those of you joining who don't know who Good Lord are, um, uh, trust me, this is definitely the only Good Lord pitch today. We've got lots to talk about and lots of breaking news. Um, Good Lord is a pre-tenancy uh, platform that helps you streamline and automate your pre-tenancy process, um, allowing you to do things like paying uh, rent, assigning documents, um, contracts, uh, paying deposits, um, and also supporting subsidiary, subsidiary services like rent protection, insurance, tenancy services, etc. Um, if you want to find out more about how Good Lord can help your business, then please do visit our website and we can take you through a demo and uh, consult with you and see how we can support your business, um, especially in these uh, ever-changing times. That's it on Good Lord. Let's get on to today's uh, today's um, uh, agenda. And, and I'm pleased to welcome uh, Mr. Sean Hooker. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Ollie. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, a little tired. Um, really, I, I stayed up. I stayed up later than normal last night to uh, to just to watch the news. Uh, much much to my wife's disappointment and annoyance. Um, um, so it's been a funny twenty four hours. But before we get into that, Sean, for those who are joining who don't know who you are. Um, can you just give us a brief introduction, please? Yes, certainly. Yeah. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Sean Hooker. I am head of redress for the Property Redress Scheme, which is one of the two authorised uh, complaint services that letting agents, property managers and estate agents must be a member of. Uh, so I'm part of Hamilton Fraser Group, which also uh, you may have heard of uh, products uh, uh, such as uh, Landlord Action and Total Landlord Insurance. And uh, of course, we we have landlord action as part of our stable. Um, we bought that off the uh, uh, the uh, Mr. Paul Champolina, who I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot from in the next few days as as uh, this saga develops. I think he's. I think Paul's busy evicting somebody at the moment, isn't he? This morning, I, I think saw a lovely he's... tweet from him. I love no, no, a lovely uh, post Whistle. from him outside. Photoshopped outside of uh, uh, I, number ten. I saw the uh, same yeah. same tweet. Yes, um, <laughs> and I think uh, Russell. Russell Quirk was the first one to sort of make the comparison to where's where's Paul Champlain when you need him, or something along the lines of that. Um, but indeed, um, it, it's going to be remiss to, to, to ignore, um, uh, you know, what has happened in the last 24 hours. So we have uh, uh, amended our agenda uh, accordingly. So we are going to sort of just to discuss um, how the government changes uh, we think affect the reform bill. We're going to major on some of the proposals. So um, you, for the people attending, you may remember we did um, a session similar to this only a few weeks ago, where we essentially, I think within sort of 48 hours of the white paper being released, Sean and I went through um, the 82 odd pages in that paper and dissected it for you, discussed it. And indeed, that was an extremely lively session. Uh, we, we, we overran by some time um, and scores of questions came in. Uh, we're going to try and focus on a couple of points that we think are persons. And actually, as the dust, dust has settled, the points that we think are pertinent to you as letting agents um, and try and focus on those and discuss those. And as I said before, the Q&A is open. So please do throw us your questions. Any aspect um, of this, um, any aspect of, of, of the industry, uh, actually, we'll try our best to answer them. Um, you also have a poll uh, that should have gone up. Um, if you could gladly answer that, intrigued to, to understand your thoughts on those questions. And we'll be running through that at the end of the session as well. Um, but let's return back to the um, let's return back to the the last twenty four hours. Then, Sean. So, um, it, breaking news um, uh, this morning in the last what fifteen odd minutes, Johnson has come out to say he's going to resign. Um, there's been over fifty um, resignations 
um, uh, in the last 24 20, odd hours. Where does this leave us um, when we're thinking particularly about the rent to form bill? Well, well, first of all, and, and you said that you weren't, you know, uh, there was only going to be one plug of good. I'm, I'm going to give you a, another little one there. I, I've dug out the T-shirt you sent me last uh, <laughs> last uh, year. OK, uh, and just before we do anything else, and I know the numbers are down slightly from what we had from the last time. And rightly so, because probably people are either glued to the television uh, or radio uh, or in board meetings now kind of discussing what does this all mean for themselves. But look, the, the message out there is that we're no we're no different than where we were even a, uh, even a couple of days ago because the white paper is not a bill it's not something that's going through parliament at the moment it is something that was open for discussion so reality is where we are at the moment is we don't really know we, what we know is that there is nobody the lights are on at deluck and but nobody's home I uh, understand that Eddie Hughes was one of the few ministers not to uh, have handed in his resignation. Uh, he had a busy day yesterday, apparently still doing stuff in the, in the property market uh, arena. So uh, he's the only one kind of like uh, um, manning the, the, the desks at the moment. But the reality is that if I was a civil servant now, you would be thinking, well, what, what do we do now? Because we don't really have any instructions on, on how to go forward. I would suspect that... They would try and be business as usual and mm. whatever work they're undertaking now. And my understanding is I was speaking to Ben Beadle the other day is he understands that large parts of the bill are in draft form. So I presume that that would just tick over as it's going on. But until you've actually got somebody to sign it off and we don't know who is going to be in the position of being the uh, the, the permanent uh, secretary for housing, we don't know that. We don't know what the structure of the uh, of the office will be. We don't know what the interim plans are even going to be, uh, because at the moment, what what Boris is saying is that he wants to stay on until autumn, which is the uh, um, uh, uh, the autumn conferences. So I'm assuming that the leadership of, um, elections will go over over the summer, and they'll announce their um, they'll announce their new leader, the new prime minister, um, around about the uh, the conference uh, time. So so let's just talk about that point because if. Um... If Boris does do that, uh, I think there's there's two schools of opinion here. Boris stays on until autumn, sees it through, a bit like May did um, when uh, when she lost the, the vote of no confidence, or indeed was, was ousted. Sorry, um, we then have a world where we don't have ministers in place, or it's going to be very hard to think that any minister worth their salt is going to jump in and do that job as an interim job, knowing there's a change of leadership. So that's an interesting quandary. But also we have scores of PPSs that have resigned as well, that, uh, as we were saying previously, are doing a lot of the legwork below this. There's 150, I think, odd odd bills already um, in in processing. We had a timeline of March the last time we spoke, which I think was well informed. And we thought the Royal Assent would probably come in October. Surely that pushes, surely this pushes the, the reform bill back. Right. You would expect so. Because, you know, of the work that needs to be done to get it absolutely prepared. However, I'm going to be controversial saying it, it could mean we see some of these changes far sooner than we may have anticipated because wow. the new leader may want to push forward and get something to show that they've done something. Now, the reality is we, we've got a situation and we're second guessing this. Of this course. is a vote of no confidence in Boris. Uh, sorry, the Prime Minister. This is not uh, necessarily a vote of confidence in the direction and the agenda and the manifesto of the the government. Okay, so we don't know that, and you know uh, uh, whether you agree with it or not. That this was a the, you know this has all been part of the bigger plan, the levelling up and the housing uh, 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 is part of that levelling up agenda is a core part of uh, uh, of the government's agenda. So. Is this a vote now against the direction of travel or is it mm. a, just a vote against the leader at the moment? If it's the latter, uh, um, then the new leader will sign up to the new, to the agenda and it will just be a change of of, of, of the boss. But the, the the company strategy so far will remain the same. If that's the case, and the whole part of this white paper was to to uh, to telegraph the the, uh, the the process or compress the, the uh, telescope, sorry, the, the process into a shorter period, you could see it's still sticking to its gender 
and pushing forward something so that there's something on the uh, you know on 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 the statute books for when uh, uh, the new leader goes eventually goes to the poll. And, and I'm intrigued with with everybody um, who's attended uh, the webinar today uh, as letting agents. Please do give us your thoughts on the Q and A um, around whether actually you don't mind this being something that either sits and wilts a little bit or or indeed you feel um, relatively relatively apprehensive about it being rushed through um, and prioritised as, 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 as a standard mark of, of the new leader's qualities. Because I think what was clear in the last webinar we did with um, one a huge attendance and huge amounts of questions, the sentiment was very clear. There was a level of nervousness um, from what we, what we saw around some of the changes. There... It's clearly necessity for clarification around a lot of points. And I think we've picked out a few points um, later on in the session today that we can clarify a bit more on from where we were uh, two or three weeks ago, which hopefully it's helpful. Um, but I think it's fair to say the letting agents, you know, didn't read the white paper and didn't go through the consultation pieces and thought this was a, a glowing indictment of, of, of the necessity to be a landlord. And actually, a lot of the, the, the conversations I've had following that session and following the white paper more along, along the lines of I'm very concerned with how you know this is going to affect landlords so I'm intrigued to understand the people who are uh, joining today what your thoughts are and what your sentiment is towards the bill now we've got you know three three odd weeks in and and it, it, it's maybe sort of had time to digest um do you, do you actually care if it's if it's pushed back a bit is, is that arguably a good thing for you as a letting agent in your review intrigued to know what the what, what the attendees views are there Sean um um, let's talk about Michael Gove, because um, I think it's very easy in the last 24 hours to uh, take a, um, a negative connotation in the way the country is being run. Um, this is unprecedented times. We've had you know, mass resonations. And you know, I think your point around this being a, um, uh, an indictment of, of, of Boris Johnson more than the government, I think is a fair one, given the fact that you know, every man and his dog last night was saying to, to Mr. Johnson, you should probably resign, and he seemed to be digging in further. That tone seems to have changed this morning, although, you know, maybe maybe it hasn't happened just yet from what I'm reading on the news down here. Um, but Michael Gove came in, and is it's probably worth some praise, because if you look at what he set out to do um, as the minister for the Department of Leveling Up, he actually solved and dealt with quite a few of the issues in a way that many haven't before him. The cladding issue, for example, um, I think is is a good testament to that. And indeed, he delivered a white paper on the rental reform bill when they said they would. Even you, Sean, came on months ago and said they said it'd be by this time, and it was indeed. So yeah. the loss of Michael Gove within the Department of Leveling Up, how influential is that in terms of one getting things done in your view, but also the fact that he seemed to have an understanding and a um, uh, an ability to, to 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 really cut through and, and actually get things like the climate crisis um, actually for at the forefront of people's minds and getting something done about it. I mean, it's, it's going to be very strange. Um, and Michael Gove is uh, well, he's the ultimate Marmite character, isn't he? Uh, but what you cannot say about Michael Gove is he's indecisive. He is the most when he's made his mind up. He, he you know, he is the most determined person to get uh, to get things done. If you want something done, you bring in Michael Gove. You know, he, call him a fixer, call him whatever you want. The thing I think, though, however, uh, that he may have learned is that. Over, you know, that he may never get the, the coveted prize, mm. and people surrounding him will say, "Well, actually, Michael, for for, for whatever your, uh, your your talents, you're not ever going to have the uh, the popularity either within the, uh, the the Conservative Party or to the nations to be take the job job." So that could mean that he could be the. Uh, the the kingmaker or the facilitator and it's going to be very interesting and i think a lot of political commentary which way outside of my pay grade uh, uh, will start to happen but if you were thinking of the logic now of salvaging this uh this situation for the country i'm talking about not just the uh the, the government because we need a functioning government mm. we don't need an, a general election at this stage i don't think any of us would welcome that uh, uh you know even the opposition i don't think would welcome that uh so michael gove could be the key so how he's integrated into this interim situation while they decide uh, who their new leader is going to be is going to be paramount 
that's my 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 initial thoughts. But this is changing ever ever minute. Of so course. by by this afternoon, I, I may sound completely off, off 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 the agenda on this one. No, indeed, and and, and to that point, uh, Kevin um, uh, has put his uh, put, put a, a statement in the in the Q and A. Thank you, and good morning, Kevin. Um, to say that actually, Boris is making a statement. It's been confirmed by number ten later today. So that does definitely sound like we are out of the gossip mill and and, and, and looking to see a, see a formal resignation. But back to back to Gove. Um, He's in quite a unique position, isn't he? Because he was actually sacked. He he didn't resign. Um, and arguably, in my mind, that makes it a little bit easier to come back in the fray again because you weren't Boris's number, number one fan. And, and actually, an unprecedented statement from, a, from number 10 briefing to the press last night, calling him a snake. So clearly some animosity there. But, you know, the fact that, that he was sacked by the prime minister... Does that make it easier for a new leader to come in and say, actually, I don't mind, Michael, uh, and he was doing a good job in the department, get him back in. Whereas if you've resigned, you've essentially walked away and, and, and that maybe has different connotations. Do you think that makes it easier for us to think that within a few weeks or months that actually Michael Gove could be back in the department he was running and then keeping, keeping this train moving forwards in the way that it has been already? I, I, you would, in many ways, you'd like to think so because... Michael Gove has uh, a, a track record of achievement. He also is the architect of the, the Leveling Up agenda, uh, which I'm assuming at this moment, on what I said earlier, that this isn't, this isn't a vote against the, the direction of uh, the government. It's a vote against the leadership, uh, that they would bring back the person who's most competent to deliver that. Now, mm. That's, you know, that's, that would be the logic if you were running a business. That's what you would say. You would bring back the person that, you know, to, the steady ship person mm. to take, take you forward. Um, so I, I think, I think, yes, we will see Gove. It, it's whether he's tempered his ambitions and doesn't want to go for some other position. But I think, you know, if, if I was a, one of the leadership candidates, I would be going to Michael Gove and saying, you're going to be an integral part of a, of, of the plans um you, you know that that's the way i would be looking at and and in, in terms of the here and now i think i'm right in saying the department of leveling up no longer has any ministers left um and uh i think i saw at least three odd pps's resigned yesterday as well yeah. so um, you know, I'm sure everybody joining has seen, you know, on the news, on Twitter, uh, the amount of, of meetings that have been cancelled um, in the forthcoming days because the, they simply don't have the people to, to attend the meetings, to, to govern them and actually do them and, and govern in the way that they, they need to and, and get these things through. Um, how big a problem do you think that is? Because clearly, if there's nobody in the building, you, you yeah. can't get anything done. And that to our, to our first point in terms of where this leaves the reform bill, you know, we, you're running the risk of bringing people in who don't have the experience um, I think it's key that Eddie Hughes, for example, is still in position. He's, in my mind, being the spearhead behind a lot of this work. So actually, from a bill perspective, hopefully we've kept some experience there. But there's going to be a personnel staffing problem here, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Look, it's been 15 minutes and we haven't had a football analogy, but it's like uh, sacking your manager in the middle of the transfer window, you know, uh, and not replacing them immediately. Uh, so Boris will remain uh, the, the caretaker prime minister. But of course, who's going to work for him? So and, and it, you know, who, he's not going to be able to bring in people who are going to, uh, to want to be associated with him. So mm-hmm. I think there's going to be this is why I think there's going to be some very delicate negotiations post this announcement in the afternoon which uh uh, uh we'll let's assume that boris is allowed the uh the luxury to remain in uh, as prime minister until the autumn uh to be honest you know none, none of the uh, the leadership contenders are going to want to see anybody else in there because or yeah because you don't want somebody who's already in the job because once you're in the job you could make a case that you're you'll keep the job so so i think the, the, there's a natural progressive foresters go today you've got Dominic Raab as deputy yeah. prime minister who you know um for the best in the world I, I wouldn't envisage being a, a a leader of the conservative party in any other time um frankly so he had he could be a good holding pattern um individual for the next x amount of months to then see it through and actually keep some level of continuity um but it will be interesting to see the effects on 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 how the priorities change or remain the same. And I think your point around, you know, a new leader coming in, 
and then wanting to make some pretty quick success and bold statements. This is clearly an avenue that one is a vote winner. If you look at look at the way the paper is structured, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's answering a lot of the, the manifesto points of which people did vote for um, and is, is pretty much you know halfway down the track. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that March timeline changes because for those of you reading today who, who weren't on the last webinar, we were kind of went through the, the forecasted timeline and it, we said that um, around October, we expected the, the reform bill to get a royal assent um, and therefore um, uh, delivering the bill um, in, in, in March 23. So that, that's the current school of thinking. Yeah. You know, beyond the last I agree with that. 24 hours, I don't think anything as informed as that should change. But of course, <laughs> we're living in a time of change. Yeah. But um, talking about change, um, housing ministers, um, mm-hmm. I think we're at one a year at least. Um, this is akin to Tottenham Hotspur managerial um, uh, circus for, well, pre-Pochettino, definitely. Uh, and in fact, post-Pochettino. Um, uh, the housing minister job seems to be something that nobody really wants to hold, hold on to. And yeah. I thought it was important we kind of just noted this because... We do have some some major challenges in, in the housing market, um, and the housing market will often inform the rental market. What do you see? What do you? How 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 you know? How how much do you think this will affect um, things by having another housing minister, or are we kind of used to this merry go round? And actually, the department leveling up was really taking a lot of the stuff that was you know really supporting or forcing the through the change. What, what do you think the effect of this is? I, I think it's exactly as you say. I think we are now fairly used to the fact that the, the, the person at the, the head of the of housing changes on a regular basis. Uh, I think the civil servants will be used to that. They've, they've got a lot. They've done a lot of work. I mean, people don't really realise, uh, uh, you know, that what goes on in behind the scenes in, in the civil servants uh, service. There's a lot of work being done on this white paper. A lot of consultation that we. We can't allow that to be uh, to, to to go uh, back to square one again. However, it does mean that thing subtle changes and different changes may occur. It, it, you know, as, as we, you know, when we go on and talk about some of the, the, the topics we were going to talk about today mm. before we knew this, then we said that they weren't set in stone. We said that they could be influenced and uh, and, and and modified and changed, and so. We know roughly now, and so we have a, a, a roughly what it's going to look like. So it's not going to fundamentally change, but there could be some still some surprises in the in the pipeline on this. And and with that in mind, you know, I think it's it's clear to everybody there's been a shortage of homes being built for a long time. The schemes that have been introduced have have been tepid um, yes. um, it, 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 at best, in, in in my personal opinion. Um, it doesn't really resonate with me that the change of a housing minister so frequently allows it to be cons- a consistent approach to just simple, simply home building in, in the UK. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how how this government over the next two years, presuming that we don't have a, a snap election, refocuses the minds on, on what they want, because they indeed do want more people to own their own home, don't they? That, that is the focus of this government yeah. above and beyond anything else when it comes to renting versus sales. So it'll be an interesting time, Sean, to see see what 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 the new man or woman does in that role and and, and how much um, sort of passion and vigor that they give to it because um, it's needed and it, you know I think the inconsistency is not helpful. Um, looking at the looking at the reform bill, um, this has had cross party support um, pretty much from day one. But a lot of the stuff um, around the reform bill was was in in in, in many parties' manifestos. Do you think the reform bill will survive if there is a change of government? Um, and albeit, again, we wrote this before the last half an hour, Johnson resigning. Um, but it's it's not, you know, it's it's possible that uh, an election is called sooner than we thought. What's your view if there is a change of government here in, in regards to the reform bill itself? I would say 75, 80% plus of what we've got in that white paper will survive. Um, and... But it will certain things will be added, I think. And I think the uh, the thing that will be added from if it is not um, uh, uh, if we have a change of government completely uh, in terms of an election, which mm. is we're not going to rule out. We know that the um, opposition will probably focus more on the rent 
and the rent control side of it, yeah. which we'll come back to because to hold that thought, I think, because that's quite important. Uh, I think if uh, if it's just a change of uh, 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 of conservative leader, I think if it, I don't think they will go to the more, let me call them the traditional wing of the party um, in terms of the non-interventionist uh, um, low taxation side of the Conservatives. I don't think they will go fully to that side. They certainly will want a a, um, a, a leader that is more um, more friendly towards uh, uh, tax cuts and non-intervention, but they won't go to full hog. We we know that the a lot of the levelling up agenda, the 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 so-called uh, uh, red wall seats, are looking for, and their constituencies are looking for a more interventionist type government. So we know that that is a lot of the, what's in that paper is popular. Mm. So I would say it would be most of it will go through. I think there will be modifications on it, um, uh, but most of it will go through. And, and 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 in terms of where where sort of people's minds are at, we've got a few few points on the the Q and A here. So um, Alicia, good morning. Um, Alicia says it's not about the reform itself, um, uh, but what even the idea of it caused. Some landlords got so scared they decided to sell. I'm looking at the issue of decreasing number of properties to less in London and a high number of tenants looking to rent because their landlord decided to sell. What will happen in a year when all those landlords sell? Where will all the people go? And I think that's pretty consistent with the feedback we got in the last session. And the the very idea that, you know, there's a potential that you're probably not as an agent going to manage more properties in a year's time than you do now because it's relatively hard to grow. And there's so few um, avenues of growth and there's so many more letting agents, for example. Um, uh, that, that, that's a question mark. But I think Alicia's point around the effect on tenants here is a really, really good one. This renters reform bill set out to help tenants more so than ever before. And if you look at it line by line, I think it achieves that. Whether you agree with it or not, I think it achieves that. Yeah. However, some of all its parts have a real possibility, don't they, Sean, of increasing rents, of causing a lack in stock because of lack of confidence. Many other issues as to why landlords are not confident in the market at the moment, but this being one of them. And those two things combined actually have a negative impact on tenants. So... Do you think, uh, and bearing in mind, the rents reform bill is now going through a consultation phase of putting to aside the madness of the last 24 hours, the idea being that in the next X amount of months, you know, the, um, the, the department come back to the industry and consult on the points. Do you think there'll be any other changes in the bill or um, external to the bill that help answer those two points? Because rents are continuing to rise and stock is continuing to be, uh, stock shortage are continuing to be insane. Right. I think, I think, you're absolutely right. I think the it's it's jittered the market, but to be fair, I think the market was jittery before anyway. Uh, you know, over the last few years with the tax changes and everything else, I think the market there's been a lot of people mulling over um, what their position, the older landlords or the more experienced landlords, I've been mulling over what their uh, their position is, and for some of them, this is now probably focus them on uh, making decisions and, and maybe you know, selling their portfolio, reducing their portfolio, taking a retirement plan, whatever. I think that was, that, that's inevitable. So we, this is, just push this one forward. In terms of what changes could come about there, I think all, all we can, uh, can, can say is that most of what's in that bill is not an existential threat to most landlords. Mm. Okay, it, 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 for most of them and, uh, you know, the vast majority, nine out of 10, I would say, it's going to be business as usual, even as we're going to be talking about the periodic tenancy changes. Most tenancies end naturally by agreement anyway. So there's not going to be the huge controversial um, issues of tenants digging their feet in and staying in the property for uh, when, when, when they're not, they're no longer welcome. I think the reality is going to be that what you have to say is that planning ahead is going to be important. However, if you are a, uh, a landlord and suddenly said, well, actually this has focused me, have a strategic plan to come out of the market. So, you know, don't panic and just sell your whole portfolio mm. and a loss of yourself 
strategically do what you want to do. I spoke to a lot of landlords at the National uh, Landlord Investment Show, uh, which was the, uh, um, the other day, and they were saying, yeah, what we're going to do is probably rationalise our, our portfolio. And do you know what? This is a spring clean that I've probably has been well overdue for me. Mm. I, I, I've been carrying properties uh, in my portfolio that, ne- you know, I've just not been kind of motivated to get rid of. But now I'm going to start to rationalise and look at my business plan a bit better. So it's been positive for a lot of landlords in terms of them a wake up call and looking at what, what their strategy is going to be. But and 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 more than likely, I suppose these properties. You know, whilst we're going on to the open market, you know, there's going to be new investors, new landlords out there, or existing landlords that want to further their horizons in the market. Um, and you know, with the cost of living crisis, you know, one hypothesis would be it's, it's going to become harder to buy a home because money is tight and inflation is, is sorry, etc. Interest rates increasing, so we we may just see more consolidation across the landlord market, which um, you know means that actually, from a stock fulfillment perspective, the numbers don't sort of peak and trough. Actually. It, it kind of remains the same. It's just passing from Peter to Paul. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how that consolidation works because, you know, I know from the um, the last um, uh, private housing study, um, I think it was something like, uh, we had these stats on the, on the last slide, I think it was something like 40% of um, of, of, of the SD's grades were, were by somebody who owned five or more properties, for example. So there's a, there's a real difference between, you know, the demographic of landlords, as there are tenants indeed. And, we may be seeing the the so the, the worship of the 2008 accidental landlord um, increase just essentially coming coming to its end, and then you know other landlords taking benefit of the properties coming to the market. But it'll be interesting to see how that demographic works and that and that consolidation. Um, we've got a few more questions that have come in. Um, this person hasn't left their name, um, albeit good morning to you. Um, they say very worrying as we're a small funny business. Um, we primarily let students. Our letting season, inverted commas, starts in October for rentals, um, starting the following summer. We need clarity on where we will stand uh, with these changes to fixed uh, tenancy terms. We've got some news on that, actually, um, which we're we'll about to go on to the next slide around students and the fixed tenancy terms. Um, it will be incredibly hard for our business to adapt to the changes quickly. It could devastate us. In some ways, a delay is good, but not necessarily. We just need certainty so we can restructure and work out how to adapt. Um, I think that's an extremely sensible sentence at the end there. The certainty allows, you know, uh, uh, you know, our industry to adapt and change. And whilst we may have a view on whether the change is good or not, the change is coming, isn't it? Um, so from a legislative perspective, it's about having the time to get get in, get, get it into place, uh, get everybody educated, get your landlords and tenants educated. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I'm very hopeful to whoever that is. Like I said, I didn't leave the name. This doesn't devastate your business. Um, and actually, I think as we talk about students in the next slide, um, hopefully there's a ray of light there for you. Um, we've got two questions in from Simon. Good morning, Simon. Um, I'm a landlord, he says, not an agent. Um, everyone's welcome. Um, I have a number of HMOs that are let students on 12-month ASTs. I have two questions. Um, so number one, Sean, we can all see the problem with the proposals within the white paper, but what are views on how this eventually uh, may eventually pan out? Well, I think we've kind of covered that somewhat already in the sense that we don't probably see substantial change to the proposals, do we, Sean? The bill is um, the bill is actually un, uh, being written already, and it, it, it's it's by all accounts from yourself, Sean. It's kind of halfway there in the actual detail, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, there will be it will be the fringes. So uh, two areas. Just I'm speculating that that, that, that uh, I, I I would expect. Uh, definitely from the opposition side, will be over the actual notice periods. So there might be a little bit of a, 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 a bun fight over because uh, at the moment, as it, as we said last time, it, it was kind of a, 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 a changing the notice period from one month to two months for, uh, for a landlord, uh, for a tenant to give to a landlord. You can see it's a positive, uh, a positive thing for a landlord because it gives you extra time to, uh, to fill the void. Uh, however, I would say that um, there will be pressures on, uh, on, on to re- reduce that for tenants, you know, to make it more tenant uh, focused. So uh, we're going to have to watch that one. And the other area I think which will be up for uh, modification will be, uh, even if it's just on the interim, will be on what level of um, um, uh, rent monitoring or control will go ahead. 
So those are the two areas I, I, I would say would be the biggest bum fights. But the rest of it is probably fairly straightforward, apart from bits of details, which I quite rightly can see there are concerns about but they 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 are not fundamentals they are they are things that will make a difference on the ground if they're not got right but fundamentally if they are right then the overall proposals are acceptable sure and 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 his second question um is apparently 60 percent of let properties are mortgaged i think that is right as per the uh the private housing study that was released not long ago Uh, and as we all know banks stipulate asts within their lending criteria are you aware, Sean, of how lenders are reacting to the white paper? Well, they were involved in the in the roundtables. They were the ones, and that exactly was the situation on on a number of those issues. Uh, you know, the, it, what were the banks' uh, reactions to this? Does it make the market uh, more or less attractive to 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 uh, for lenders to lend? And overall. I think the reaction from the, uh, 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 the the mortgage lenders, or at least the people I've spoke to, is ca- is cautious, a welcome of this. This will not change their lending criteria, but they are still looking at the fine details of it. So the reality is that they need to have that security of income coming in, uh, and but there is there doesn't seem to be. Uh, um, too much of a threat to say that the market will become more conservative. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, that that will make the criteria tougher. But the banking people I've spoken to, the lenders I've been speaking to, the representatives, said that this this is this they can accommodate that within their lending criteria. And I think the assumption there is that, and we'll come on to this point again, but that it's probably going to be business as usual. We've got to remember tenants are finding homes. Uh, and there isn't a suggestion that, that property is going to be turned into short lets overnight because of this legislation, is there? So actually, there, there shouldn't be, and there's not being foreseen, significant change in terms of tenure or consistency to pay, um, et cetera. So, you know, I think that if the, if the lenders aren't worried, often it's, it's good reason for nobody else to be worried because they're the guys and girls that are, are putting the money on, on, on the table, I suppose. But um, I think that's a very good question. Um, thank you for that. Um, Oh, we'll do one more question and then we'll move on to the next slide and we'll come back to the questions afterwards. Uh, but this one's from Joe um, Jackson. Good morning, Joe. Thank you for this session. Thank you for joining, Joe. Um, please, my question is, uh, with the renters reform bill now um, uh, tenancy moving periodic, what sort of format of tenancy agreements can we prepare for our tenancy? Um, so I think Joe's being quite specific here, Sean, in terms of the actual documentation, the contract that they can use um, and, and, and where, where they would find that. Now, the changes aren't obviously enforced yet, so there's no need to change the contract you're using at all at the moment. Um, and I imagine, uh, Sean, there will be directive given in terms of, of of clauses that will meet the new the new legislative terms. I, I would imagine. Okay, yeah, so absolutely right. So it's business as usual. You use exactly the same tenancy agreements as you've been using in the past. Okay, which I'm assuming that you know if you've had them checked over or all uh, upfront and legal, don't contain unfair uh, contract terms uh secondly uh, uh and you know to be fair i've not met anybody that's using that but there is a model constitution uh, sorry a model tenancy agreement that the government has signed off uh, and is on their website which contains the clauses that they believe are uh, acceptable and fair the, the reality is that you will not be able to serve any other type of contract uh, 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 than your AST until the actual change date. Yeah. When the government announces it's going live, it will be uh, there will be a six months kind of lead in for that. Then all new tenancies will become the new tenancy uh, in the format that the government agrees. And then thereafter, there's a further six months after that when um, uh, if you've issued a, a, an existing tenancy, that it automatically defaults to the new the new for uh, the new tenancy so any clauses in there that do not fit will be null and void so right up to the the minute that uh, uh, that they announce the new tenancies are uh, um, uh, are available you can issue the standard tenancies that you're doing at the moment what i would advise is if they give you the six month lead in there will be a, um, a model constitution i hope available at that time start using that rather than wait until 
the day before the uh, the day before the 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 the, the, uh, the mandatory for new tenancies and issue uh, an AST there because it's only you only have the benefit of six months anyway before it defaults back into uh, uh, to, it defaults to the new ones. Yeah, does that make sense, uh, Ollie? It, it does, and it's worth noting actually for, for, for those who are joining who are good law customers. Of course, we manage your um, agreements, we update your agreements um, <laughs> it, it, mostly, um, unless you're using bespoke ones. Uh, we'll support these changes um, through through the through through the, through the process and make sure that you know the the the, the adaptions to those or the changing contracts uh, are done um, at the earliest opportunity to ensure you're compliant. Um, it's a nice segue actually onto the the next slide if we can, Sarah. Just before we do that, Joe also asked Sean um, how um, how, how uh, one could join the PRS. Uh, I, I would guess visit your website give you a call and they can talk through uh, how to do that. Would that be? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so all, if you're an agent, uh, you just go online and you can join automatically on that. Um, if you're a property professional, then uh, we also, you can join on a voluntary basis as well. So that's brilliant. Yeah. So it's uh, www.theprs.co.uk. Fantastic. So using the, the last point as a segue into in, into talking about the single system of periodic tenancies, um, we talked about this at length in, in the last session. Um, and again, I think that recording is available, actually, if, if those who didn't join uh, on our website at urgalaw.co and go into newsagent. Um, but one of the things that I think is worth noting uh, is the fact that this really clearly affects renewals. Um, and as, uh, it, I, we got the impression in the last session, we were kind of looking at the, at the, the detail of the, of the paper. And then we've had some time to think of the repercussions of that detail. And this will effectively mean, won't it, Sean, within 12 months of the, if not, you know, within 12 months of the, of the legislation coming in, that agents no longer will have a, uh, have a need to renew contracts and therefore will we'll lose a revenue stream because of that. That's something that agents monetize. Um, and and you know, they look to, obviously, at that stage, do rent increases, for example. We know that part is changing. Um, and that's going to go through what section thirteen, I think it was. Um, but this this is something that agents should be switched on to, and they should be planning for, isn't it, in terms of how how how, how their monetization of their business will change because of this this legislation. No, no absolutely. And uh, you know, let's be fair. Um, you know, the, the the majority or most common form of uh, remunerations that uh, agents uh, have been participating which is basically um uh, if you if you let a property uh you you take your letting fee over the period of the tenancy out of as a percentage of the uh, the rent charged and if the tenancy roll, uh, rolls on uh, you get a renewal fee um we have seen other different models coming out on that i think i think the the way you've got to look at it is actually to say, actually, I am valuing my service. This is what my service is valued at. What is the the best way of me getting the value that I think I am entitled to for the service that I have provided? Mm. Which essentially, I have started to see people start to say, we are going to be charging upfront fees. So we're going to calculate what a let has been worth and you pay that in advance. Because effectively, all you're doing from taking it from a, from your rental uh, uh, your rental income is you're you're putting them on the, on a payment plan, aren't you? Yeah. You, you want to actually achieve what you want to achieve for the value of that lettings. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of that, uh, I think if your if your landlords could tolerate that and, and want to pay up front, then a lot you know try try that model and then just take the one-off fee for the let and then that that's fine if you're continuing on with other services like rent collects or property management then there's just like a monthly fee i would say mm. and just charge those as a monthly fee for the length of the time that you're providing the uh, uh, the business now in terms of protecting your uh, your revenue stream and retaining your customers that's what renewal fees uh, you know are are, are, are the, uh, we're, we're put in place by letting agents, you know, to do. They want to keep their customers. So if they say, well, actually, at the end of it, we'll take a renewal fee. If you leave us, we'll take a, 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 um, a, 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 a termination fee. I think you're going to have to start looking a little bit uh, at those and saying, well, actually, does that work in, in, in the new regime? Uh, if you're keeping a landlord over the period of time, focus on the landlord, charge him an annual fee, you know, that, that, mm. you know, and, and then, 
spread that out over however you want to do it. But yes, it will change the, the way. But if you focus on what your service is worth and the value of it, and you're upfront with that, then you can say, that's what we charge. And we believe we are worth that. So mm. take that in the way that, uh, uh, that is most effective for you. You, you, you're preaching to the converted here, Sean. I've held many a session um, as some of the attendees today will know over the last sort of five, six years around sort of the value letting agents bring and how to how to protect and improve your, your, the, the fee. And I actually truly believe that this kind of change can be a good thing for letting agents in a sense that it, 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 it's actually bringing more barriers in in some respects to let, making renting property harder. And that's where professionals shine. And I think, you know, educating your landlords on, to Sean's point, the value you're bringing, but also educating on, on you know, what does this process actually entail? Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of landlords out there aren't aware of all these changes. Or, and indeed, maybe aren't even aware of changes that have been and gone. And, you know, there's, a, there's an ability to educate there. But I, I do fully appreciate um, it's very easy sat on a webinar saying that you go into the open market and you've got 10 agents around you all competing for the same property. Uh, it becomes a different story. But we are here to help uh, on that front, whether you're a customer or not. Um, and we run numerous roundtables and sessions uh, and give content around um, how to look at the structure of your fees and how to consult with landlords. Um, hopefully never running the risk of teaching you to suck eggs as, as letting agents or landlords, but really trying to sort of promote best practice um, and give maybe a few new ideas and tips that can help. But I am I'm conscious this change on the face of it um will look like the the way you monetize your business is being 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 degraded but i think sean to your point there there's other ways you can do that over a different amount of time and actually still add value and show your value and worth so um very good point there sean thank you um we've got one question actually come in um this person to this from katie good morning katie and um, rent and legal insurance criteria also ask for an ast if the tenant needs to pay um, the term in advance, how will this be affected? Um, you, you, you're right indeed. Um, rent and legal policies out there um, do include uh, terms around having an AST or company-led contract in place. Um, from a good law perspective, and I can only speak on our behalf, we'll be working with our insurers to ensure our wording um, is aligned with the new the new legislation. We don't see any, any mass change there um, uh, as a result of this legislation. Um, the view at the moment is that things will carry on as they normally, uh, as they have done previously. Um, we, we don't think there's going to be um, huge chopping and changing in the market in terms of tenure. Um, I actually think what we'll see is tenure get longer and longer. Um, and I'd go back to our earlier point around the stocks, stocks shortage um, that supports that. Uh, I think most people out there go and try and find their home. And when they're happy with that home, especially when there's a, um, a, lack, of, a lack of stock out there, I think they'll stay longer. And indeed, if you look at tenure over the last um, two, to, two to four or five years, um, 10 years increasing pretty much year on year um, and I don't see that changing so we don't see huge change of risk and therefore I expect this to be a wording change um, uh, and nothing more than that at this moment in time if, if there's other changes please don't come back to me Sean and say Ollie you said on that webinar the day after uh, the Madison 24 hours that there wasn't any changes you know as we know now that that, that, that would be my view I mean, um, I yeah, the reality, Ollie, both to Clara and Trust, we both have uh, insurance uh, uh, products that uh, our, our companies uh, um, uh, are promoting. So uh, that's declaration of interest. However, I do see that these sort of policies will become more popular. And, you know, by the time we finish this slide, you'll start to see that, you know, you're mitigating your risks using insurance policies is is a good way to 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 iron out some of the uh, the potential um uh, uh, consequences that will affect albeit very small numbers of people but when it does might be quite significant so indeed carry on um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank, thank you for the question katie uh, a pertinent one um Scrapping of Section 21, the, um, the, the the cornerstone of the Renters Reform Bill, the the, the sort of main um, news story, the no, the scrapping of no-fault evictions, which uh, I'll say it again because I've said it so many times, really winds me up because I don't think landlords wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I'm going to cut the grass, I'm going to... I'm going to have some tea later and I'm going to, I'm going to evict my tenant. Um, there normally is a reason, uh, but indeed um, we are seeing section 21 being abolished. Uh, it is going to go. That, that much is clear. Um, uh, however, um, we, from a contract perspective, actually, uh, from an ASD and product tenancy perspective um, and from a section 21 perspective, Sean, you think there's potential changes afoot in regards to students. Do you want to talk us through those? 
yeah, well, I, I think the, the, the initial kind of reading and initial talk to uh, the government was that after consideration and looking at the student market, they didn't believe that there was a gra- there was a grounds for an exception for student lettings. And their argument with that was that the, you know, although majority of students will uh, only use the student accommodation for the period that they were at uh, university or college, uh, a tenant may have for whatever circumstances want to remain in in a property after their academic year or uh, if they fail to uh, continue with the university and they should have the same rights on that i think the more that uh, the people have been uh, and we you know talking to the government i think the more that they're starting to uh, to maybe say well actually we need to actually have a look at this differently and i think to be fair one of the people who've been uh, foremost on this uh, not only because his position as the CEO of the National Residential Landlord Association, but the fact that he is an HMO, a student mm. landlord, is that Ben is Ben Beadle has been talking to them and and pointing out the potential risks uh, um, of having uh, not taking the student market into account. Now, saying that, I do think that the student market will change, and uh, and and it will most likely have to. Uh, partly, I personal view is I think that. Uh, um, if you are wanting to rent out properties on joint and several tenancies student market, you may want to reconsider that. I think a lot of student tenants and landlords have already done that, put them on single tenancies, so therefore you have that flexibility. I think uh, uh, the issue of uh, mixed tenure probably needs to be sorted out. So, uh, you know, a lot of the licensing schemes out there designate you as a student or a family that and you know you could argue that you could have a mixed tenure of uh, of, of single professionals and students in the same property i think uh we're going to have to look very carefully at the criteria on how you become a registered student provider um uh, at the moment uh, 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 it seems that those exempt properties are either owned by universities or purpose-built ones is there a scope for um or uh, smaller single single landlords to get their properties registered as approved uh, uh, suppliers and then they will be exempt so those are the sort of th- conversations that are going on at the moment but i had another thought there ollie this is another opportunity for insurance for void periods you know i mean the, the, what what keeps a student landlord uh, awake is that the tenants uh you know fail their first term exams and then leave yeah. and they can't replace the uh the tenant because you're in the middle of the uh, of the term uh and the you know the students are are, are, are not going to come in and change properties at that stage of the yeah, game sure. so um you know there, there is scope for looking at ins- maybe insurance products that cover that you know well i think honest. the market is looking at this and, and figuring out how how it can support um agents and landlords alike and i think the you know, a really good example of that is the new rules around pets. Look at that segue on to the next point, Sean. You, you've teed me up perfectly. Um, and actually, only this week, I think, uh, a joint venture between Property Mark and I forget the name of the, the, the pet um, uh, organisation. Um, forgive me. Um, if a cat? But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it may well yeah. be in that. Jenny um, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and they've, um, they've, they've pretty much now, it's been, been confirmed that this will be an insurance-led initiative, i.e. that landlords will have the right to mandate insurance for protection in the property against the, the pet that's permissible into that property. Um, and, you know, that, that clearly, I think, from a landlord's perspective, is, is advantageous. Um, I think my question mark around this is, 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 is how, who and how. Um, so, and what I mean by that is, you can mandate the insurance to the tenant and say you must take it but once they've taken it out uh, as you well know sure i'm sure our, our viewers do um there's a 14-day calling off period with all insurance policies um how do you know if they've not then gone and cancelled the thing and you haven't got the protection in place so is it actually a levy that's part of the rental amount the landlord has to take it out well that's administration that needs to be done so it'll be interesting to see and i don't have any further insight to sean how that that's actually going to work in practice because you know it, there's pitfalls there potentially well, I, look, I, I haven't had the opportunity to sit down with the government and and, and explain, uh, uh, you know, the situation in, in detail to them. Um, uh, other people may have had the opportunity to, but I did speak to my insurance guys, 
Um, one of the uh, solutions could be to uh, to uh, uh, um, amend your uh, uh, landlord insurance to cover uninsured uh, um, uh, perils. You know, a little bit like mm. your car uh, insurance covers uh, um, uh, people who hit you or are not insured. So you can, you know, to the best of your ability, you can ask a tenant to uh, uh, to take out a policy. If they lapse it or uh, um, uh, uh, cancel it, then um, it wouldn't be. You know, it wouldn't even be prohibitive to a premium to add that cover onto on onto a landlord insurance. To be honest, it would hardly make any difference on a on a risk profiling of of that because it's going to be so infrequent. You know, if you if you dedicate and love your pet, you you know, you uh, you will take out the modest policy that uh, costs and absorb it. Uh, we've already seen in surveys saying that um, tenants out there are, are, are prepared to pay higher rents to to to, uh, to for properties that are pet friendly. So why wouldn't they pay out what would be a relatively modest fee for a um, uh, for a, a pet insurance? You know, mm. it's not going to be it's not going to be huge amounts of money. I can't see can't see them charging you know tens of tens of thousands of pounds for. Uh, Sorry, no, tens of hundreds and, of pounds. No, insurance. no, indeed. Sorry. But, and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think we're talking about widespread problems either. However, the problem will come at the point there is a problem. So the moment you need to make a claim, and if it's left to the tenant to do that, you know, do they do they make the claim on time? Do they action properly? Do they, you know, if by then they've left the property, do they have any goodwill to see that claim through and, and, and adhere to the terms of that that insurance and ensuring that claim so i think the i think the how is going to be important here just to get landlords peace of mind because there's plenty of landlords out there which we have to acknowledge rightly or wrongly do not want pets in their properties and they're not going to have the grounds to say no uh, reasonably um at the point that this is, is put in place so i yeah. think making sure as an industry and as a collective of, of suppliers we have a sensible answer that is robust i think is is the right thing to do in my mind and, and indeed you know, I'm sure, like many others, that's that's something we're we're working on already. Um, so, but but be aware, you know, that that bit has pretty much been confirmed now. So, you, you know, hopefully, that's a bit more peace of mind for letting agents and landlords that adds a level of protection when maybe there was a question mark as to how they were going to, uh, or w- were landlords and, and agents entertaining more risk because of that. Um, we've got a few more questions coming, Sean. Um, I'll cover uh, some of these if I may. Um, Ross, good morning, Ross. Um, with a lot of flats in central London being furnished, do you think they will think about differentiating unfurnished to furnished tenancies under the reform, Sean? Again, that was, that was a question that uh, we, we touched on last time. And, mm. and um, yeah, very interesting because the decent home standards will be coming in. So, so you, you know, the, the home provided should meet those criteria. But if you are selling it uh, or, or renting it unfurnished, it won't meet those criteria. So I, I, I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, take the fifth on this one and say I don't know the full, full answer to that. I can't see how they would disrupt what is currently a workable market because furnished properties are popular as are unfurnished properties, mm. okay? And I think if you have uh, um, a furnished property, uh, then you have to take responsibility for that to meet the decent home standard when it comes to what you've put into the kitchen, the bathroom, whatever, um, um, uh, the white goods. If it is uh, uh, down to the tenant to put them in, uh, they've chosen to do that, then I think we need to say, well, actually, how does that, affect the landlord when it comes to if somebody goes and inspects it and they find that the kitchen is un- unsafe and then the landlord says well actually yeah but that's the tenant's cooker and that's the tenant's fridge yeah, yeah. nothing to do with us so i think i think we need to actually uh, iron that one out it's okay. a very good question um no doubt we'll be sitting around this table <laughs> who knows in a week's time a month's time six months time we, we will be doing this session again as, as we as we get more clarity as we promised um um but uh no i think more detail needed there um question from lynn just on on, on a similar point um good morning lynn um can a tenant insure goods and furniture that, that does not belong to them i.e furniture and finished property re pet insurance they can lynn um tenants can insure themselves against accidentally damaging those kind of goods um and there is um uh, products out there that do that good lord them uh, ourselves we do um, in, indeed provide that level of service to um to tenants um, who go through our our tenancy platform but they, they can indeed at the moment and i expect that side of the, the market to, to improve actually because of this legislation i think you'll see innovation there and, and and better products and services coming coming to the market um 
I'm conscious of time. Um, Sean, Can I just add uh, one want... quick thing on that? Um, oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, what's going to be paramount, I think, is making sure that robust inventories are in place. Now, that's to be done uh, voluntary from the market. I'd like to see the government kind of edging people to having that as document uh, as a document in place. Um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to myself because Simon has has come in uh, on the question of pets, a light-hearted comment. Does that mean that one of my student tenants phones up my agent to inform them there are mice in the kitchen? I can no longer instruct my agent to... Tell said students that a tenancy agreement stipulates no pets. Um, no, Simon, you, yeah, unreasonably can't decline a pet. Although I think if you've got mice in your property, you've probably got bigger problems. I think, uh, you, I I think, think if your tenants are starting to feed and groom the things, then, uh, <laughs> then you might, uh, you, you might, you might say. I mean, I remember when we, uh, I was younger, it was you know some random cat just came into our house and we adopted it. You know, so n- nobody came and claimed it back. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm pretty sure that mice would be another issue <laughs> indeed under, um, under the decent home standard I, no <laughs> doubt. um uh, uh we've got one more question in to cover i think or maybe two but sean before we do that um uh before we do that uh we would like your views on the um, the creation of the new um private renters of um we put this last session um you gave some some high level thoughts we've had a few weeks since then um give us your thoughts on where this is where this is heading right so uh what, what it actually says in the white paper, they will create a uh, single um, ombudsman for tenants. They've changed the direction from landlord, what we were calling landlord um, redress to uh, an ombudsman for tenants, which would be concentrating on the uh, um, uh, the issues such as the decent homes and uh, other complaints that tenants would have against their landlord. So it would be effectively um, uh, levelling the playing field between uh, uh, those uh, people who are members of uh, 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 the agents, who are members of a redress scheme, but the, if they're self-managed, they're not getting it. Now, I, my view has been that it's the in- if you're going to have a level playing field, it's got to be integrated. I still don't think the government has thought through the fact that huge numbers of landlords employ an agent precisely for the reason that they don't want to take the responsibility for uh, um, for managing that property. Okay, they've got the ultimate response, legal responsibility, but the day to day management and involving them in having to register for a scheme and uh, and and deal with those complaints where they may be remote, uh, elderly, uh, out of country, whatever, or or not have the uh, you know the, the knowledge and experience to do it. It's exactly why they're using an agent. I think that's got to be thought through. And so the relationship between uh, the uh, new ombudsman and the existing ombudsman is going to be key. Okay, uh, I I am not convinced that uh, um, that the one stop shop for landlords is necessarily the way forward. I'm still adamant of that. I certainly want to say to the government, we totally accept that there should not be confusion. A tenant should have a one-stop shop for all these complaints Mm. is how it's taken down on that. But, you know, we're watching that that space carefully. I also think that uh, um, the three issues that are the biggest challenges for this is, one, is that tenants need to be educated about it. And the only people that are going to be able to educate them is going to be the landlords and the agents' um, responsibilities. So how do we make that, uh, um, um, get the buy-in of the industry to, to say to their tenants, we have these this mechanism for resolution, and it's in both of our interests to go down that route. I also think that if it's going to be a lot of repair issues, the, the, the system has got to be slick, it's got to be efficient, and it's got to be uh, easy to administer. So I don't envisage that a system that takes uh, um, uh, months is, is going to be a workable situation. You basically, you know, if it's just going to be, uh, a compensation scheme for, for for situations in the past, then I don't think it's going to achieve what it is, uh, mm. wants to achieve. And I think it also has to actually integrate in with an enforcement regime as well. So it has to be a carrot and a stick. If you can't resolve this through the simple, cheap and uh, um, uh, consensus way, what are the penalties then if you don't abide by that? Because, you know, 
uh, what's the landlord going to do if if I make a decision and uh, and and they they don't uh, they don't want to abide by it? I need to know if, uh, if 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 I was making the decision, what the consequences of that would be and what the enforcement of that would be. And, and I, 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 I take it you'll, you'll be included, or you'll be around the table in the coming months. Hopefully, hopefully consulting with the relevant um, yeah, yeah. Uh, parties within the uh, within the department to to make Absolutely. those points and, and see where it goes. So, I look forward to being hopefully informed by you, Sean, in months to come. Um, we, we are out of time. Um, we've overrun by, by, by five minutes. Um, appreciate there's one or two questions um, left there. Um, I think one of them, uh, or one, sorry, actually. So I will cover it. Just just in the interest of being one. Um, great session, guys. And um, thank you very much. This person has left their name. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the the, the hour odd uh, for everybody that's, that, that's tuned in to view. Um, more of an administration question regards the new proposed landlord portal register. Will agents be allowed to access this on behalf of their their landlord clients? Um, I don't think we have any clarity on that in terms of how it's going to work and what the access points and who's going to be running that, do we, Sean? So I think that's... A, okay, so, that's so a, subject to GDPR, I would say, and uh, uh, confidentiality, uh, they've, they've pledged they want the rogue uh, uh, register to be public. I wouldn't uh, have a problem or I couldn't envisage a problem if uh, certain parts of that re- register portal, whatever you call it, is accessible to uh, uh, to um, uh, agents or any of the public. Um that that's my that's my view. As long as it doesn't uh, uh, breach GDPR or or, or or confidentiality. What well, one to keep an eye out in terms of how that's going to be one proposed and utilised, but also what the you know what ultimately detailed um, in that. But, but but good question and, and for everybody who you are, didn't leave the name. Thank you very much. Um, and also thank you very much to, to to all of you that have tuned in. Um, uh, we 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 we, did, we weren't sure whether we'd only get a few numbers on today, but actually uh, we've got um, uh, hundreds of you on today. Um, plenty of questions. Thank you so much for your time. Um, hopefully that's been an informative hour. We've tried to sort of piece together uh, the last twenty four hours. We will be back um, with another instalment around the reform bill as time goes on and as more clarity and detail comes out um, but for now um sean thank you very much and to everybody else out there thank you so much too have a great morning thanks holly cheers guys bye-bye